Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to finish up 2 Peter chapter 1 today. We're in a series called Make Every Effort. A very creative name that came from 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Make Every Effort is a series for us as we study through 2 Peter. It's just five weeks, and so we're in week two right now, finishing up chapter 1. Next week, we'll do all of chapter 2. And then uh, we'll start to make our way then towards Christmas. Tomorrow is November, by the way. Um, so you can get your pumpkin spice lattes and your vests and boots, ladies, go for it. Uh, it's time, it is time. Your time is here. You've been made for such a time as this. Um, so that starts tomorrow, November is tomorrow. Uh, tonight, we're gonna go get some candy probably. I wanna encourage you in this way, church, be good neighbors tonight. Uh, be good neighbors. Love, love your neighbors well, love people well. There's no other experience like you're gonna experience tonight where you actually get to knock on the doors of your neighbor's houses and get to see them face to face. They can't uh, put the garage door down fast enough this time. You're gonna see them. You're gonna see their faces. Uh, And you're gonna get candy from them. And so I would just encourage you, love them well. Um, See see who they are, pray for them if you can. It's just a great way to get to know uh, your neighbors, even in this weird, weird, wacky thing that we do tonight. So I wanna encourage you in that. Second Peter uh, chapter one is where we'll be. This series is called Make Every Effort. Dallas Willard is an author and a pastor, and he has this statement in one of his books. He says that grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. In following Jesus, um, we are saved by grace through faith. That's how we are saved. And yet we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Effort is part of following Jesus. It takes work. It takes effort and, and striving to be who God's called us to be, not out of obligation or, or uh, duty, but because it's what he's called us to do and to be. I'm growing more and more convinced as I get older that the Bible is not a way to hold me down, but a way to set me free. That the law, like David says, is like honey on my lips. Your boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I used to buck against the things that God had for me. I'm the kind of person who I want to know the rules because I wanna know how to get around the rules. Anybody else like that? If we're playing a board game, you better tell me to a T what the rules are. And then you better cover every single base around that because I will find a loophole. I will find it. And so in following Jesus, though, what I've learned is the way that he has laid our lives out, the way that he has given us his scripture, given us the law, what he's given us in scripture is not a way uh, to pen me in or to make me into a good little boy or a good Christian. What it is, it's a way for me to flourish as a human. That's what it is. It's a way for me to be who God has called me to be. He wrote the instruction manual on humanity and I need to begin to believe and trust in him. And inside of that then there comes some effort. Not effort in a way when I was in elementary school and when I did Awana, not that kind of effort, but in effort in such a way that I wanna align my heart with the heart of Jesus. Not to make me look good to a certain subsect of people, but because I want to experience life the way it was meant to be lived, life abundantly. So this book, 2 Peter, um, Peter, the apostle Peter, um, he has written this second letter to the churches uh, distributed throughout the Roman provinces, really in Asia Minor, but they're run by the Roman Empire. 
and persecution has come upon them. Peter is nearing the end of his life, and so this is his, his farewell discourse, his farewell letter, and he, he kind of goes after false teaching and false doctrine. The church is under intense suffering, intense persecution, and what the enemy does is the enemy takes suffering and he pairs false teaching with it and he destroys lives. Suffering is the kindling of the fire of false teaching. And false teaching burns down cities and families and homes. Whenever we're going through seasons of suffering, what the enemy does is he sticks into our minds, he twists the words of the holy God, the loving creator of the universe, and he twists the words of God and he makes us question if God is actually who he says that he is. What the enemy will do in seasons of suffering is he will point you to your experience of suffering and say, you still think he loves you? Because if he loves you, this wouldn't have happened. If he loves you, you wouldn't be in this circumstance. If he was for you, she wouldn't have left. If he was for you, he wouldn't have gotten cancer. In seasons of suffering, it's the fertile soil for the seeds of false teaching. So Peter goes after false teaching. Chapter two, Peter does not hold back about what he thinks of false teachers. I mean, he lets you know where he stands. The end of chapter one is kind of the way that he leads us into that. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna read these verses, verses 16 through 21. I wanna put them in context of the book. There's a story in here that Peter uses from his own life, which we'll read from Matthew. So we'll go to Matthew chapter 17. So that'll be in there as well. We're gonna look at a Psalm, Psalm 119 for a bit. But then what I wanna do is I wanna go full on 1990s pastor. And I've got some pictures to show you and some object lessons and the whole thing. So if you were in youth ministry in the 90s, you're gonna love this. Thought about doing some overheads, but that didn't really fit the budget, so we're not doing that. But uh, this, is, this is the direction we're gonna go this morning. Um, it'll be a little bit different, uh, but I, I hope that God uses what we have to offer him this morning. Second Peter chapter one, let's look at verse 16. For we did not follow clearly, or follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he, God, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word. And if that scares you, it shouldn't. We have the prophetic word. That's a reference to the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this or not, but 80% of the prophecies of the end times are in the Old Testament. Over 80% of the prophecies of the return of Jesus Christ come from the Old Testament. In fact, Revelation, Revelation is just a second telling of the Old Testament. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, we, in life, uh, we go through our days and our weeks and our months and our years, and we have experiences. Now, what happens for many of us 
is that experience reigns supreme in how we view our lives. Experience becomes the filter by which we see everything. So whatever your experience was or is, that determines how you will feel or how you will live or what you will pursue. I don't know if you've been around um, like fourth through eighth or ninth grade girls. Anybody been around them? You understand how one small experience ruins everything for them? You understand that? How there could be a moment in the morning. Uh, listen, we have a five-year-old girl and this happens for us. Uh, we can lay out clothes for her to wear the next day and if she doesn't wanna wear that outfit and we don't let her wear a different outfit, her entire week is ruined and we ruined her life. It's over from that point forward. She'll never get married. No one will ever love her because if she can't wear that dress, then there's no way she will ever find success and flourishing in life. Well, we do the same thing um, as grown-ups. We do the same thing where experience trumps everything else. Well, the Bible, Scripture, now, while it is useful for information, it's profitable for teaching. Here's what that means. Scripture is meant to be the filter by which we read our experiences. Scripture interprets experience. Experience does not interpret Scripture. Peter is writing to people in suffering, fertile for the seed of false teaching, and he's having to remind them of a few things. So in context, now pay attention to how many times Peter uses words like remind or recall or no. Pay attention, just in these first few verses. Second Peter chapter one, let's start in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Remember to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue knowledge and all those things we looked at last week. I wanna remind you of these qualities, though you know them. I wanna remind you of them, even though you know them, I feel the need to remind you of them and are established in the truth that you have. So he's writing to what seems to be seasoned believers. He says, I know that you know this, but I need to remind you that you know this. Verse 13, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body or tent, tabernacle, this body, to stir you up, to provoke you, to agitate you by way of reminder. So what's happened is the Christians here, um, I think they were passionate about pursuing Jesus, then they flatlined, and then suffering came. And so when suffering came now, they began to backtrack a bit and they forgot what they knew. And instead of resting on the foundation of being established in truth now, they are living their lives through the filter of experience. And he's saying, I, I have to agitate you a bit. I have to poke at you a bit. I'm gonna have to step on your toes a bit by way of reminder, he says in verse 13. Verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, I'm, I'm leaving soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort. I will stop at nothing so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter is saying, I'm gonna make every effort to remind you of the things that you already know. Now, here's what I believe about our church. Uh, just from experience and from knowing many of you, I, I believe there are things that we already know. Many of us grew up in the church or we've been in church for a long period of time or you just grew up in the South and so you know some things about the church. And then what happens is in our passion fades and we begin to flatline, then suffering comes, hard times come, life comes at us quick and we start to fall back into old ways of thinking. And like Peter, I think what we need to do is be stirred up, be provoked, be agitated uh, by the truth. So then let's, that's all in context. Verse 16, for, Peter says, we 
the apostles, the teachers, the elders, we, he's speaking now primarily of the apostles, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We did not follow made up tales. We did not follow stories. We did not follow clearly devised myths. One of the uh, false teachings going on in this time was false teachers and false um, speakers, prophets have come into the church here, the churches here in the Roman provinces. And what they've begun to say because their suffering is, hey, you know, you know that stuff Peter's been teaching you? It's all made up. It's all in his mind. And then they would point to present experience and say, hey, if what Peter is saying is true, then why, why is this happening? One of the big things that Peter staked his ministry on was the return of Jesus Christ. He believed it. He believed there's more to life than this. He believed it. He believed that God was good. And through the person of Jesus, we have been saved from our sins. He, he stakes his life and ministry on the gospel of Jesus and on his ultimate return. And the false prophets are coming in, false teachers saying, listen, wouldn't he have been here by now? Like if Jesus really loved you and wanted to come rescue you, why, why wait? Why not just come now in the midst of all this suffering? He clearly has made this up. He is out of his mind. He made it up. Now, what Peter is doing here is that he's actually passively, aggressively calling the other teachers, people who follow cleverly devised myths. What he's saying is, we're not like them. I'm actually teaching the truth to you. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, without further reading, what you think is, well, yeah, of course, he walked on the earth for three and a half years with Jesus. Great. But it gets better and weirder than that. Verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Again, okay, so you stop here and your mind goes to the baptism, doesn't it? The baptism of Jesus. Well, when Jesus was baptized and then sent into the wilderness and then began his ministry, these are the words of, Jesus, of God from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Well, we've got to keep reading. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Well, he wasn't baptized on a holy mountain. Something else happened on a holy mountain. So hold your place there and go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, we're gonna see this experience that Peter has that's unlike anything any of us have probably ever experienced. If you wanna read other perspectives of this, you can look at Mark 9 and Luke chapter 9. I've just chosen Matthew 17. There's a few nuances here I wanna point out. This is what's called the transfiguration of Jesus, which already sounds really simple to understand. He's pointing to an experience that he had on the holy mountain. Now, Matthew chapter 17, uh, verses one through eight. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. So the inner three, this is the inner circle of Jesus, the ones who, they get to go everywhere with him. But they often fall asleep wherever they go. And you'll see this here. Whenever they go up mountains, they fall asleep. Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured. Transfigured just means transformed in likeness, completely transformed in likeness. He didn't just change his clothes, didn't do his hair differently. This is altogether different. He was transfigured before them, 
and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Now, already this is an experience unlike anything else Peter's ever experienced. Now, Peter's walked on water, right? I mean, Peter... Peter's done some stuff and seen some stuff. Peter has seen the feeding of the 5,000. Peter has seen a lot of things, but this thing, this is the one thing Peter goes back to to affirm his teaching. He goes back to this experience, not the walking on water, not the feeding of the 5,000, not even the resurrection. He goes back to this experience. Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became white as light. Verse, uh, continue, verse three now. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, uh, Moses uh, was the Old Testament leader who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. This is who Moses is. Set my people free. Let my people go, as he says to Pharaoh. He leads them out of slavery in Egypt. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses dies, and Joshua leads them into the promised land. This is Moses. Now, for a Jew, and particularly for us now, if in Old Testament literature into New Testament um, experiences and literature, what we find is that Moses represents the law. You can write that down. Moses represents the law. The law was given to Moses, Ten Commandments given to Moses, then that then became more and more of the law throughout the rest of the Old Testament. This is who Moses is. Now, Moses died and then was carried into heaven before he got into the promised land. Which, I mean, I think he'd rather be in the promised land or be in heaven than in Canaan anyway, but it's still, this is what happens. This is who Moses is. And then we meet Elijah. Now, Elijah, the Old Testament tells us is that Elijah never actually, we don't know that Elijah died on the earth. Elijah was taken away into heaven. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses is the law. Elijah is the prophets. Elijah we think, based on Old Testament reading, was that he was carried away into heaven and he never saw death. Remember Jesus in John 21 and some other places has said, there will be some who will experience the kingdom of heaven without experiencing death. And then there's some who will pass away and that's how they get into the kingdom of heaven. So you got Moses the law and Elijah the prophets. Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. So they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah are there and they're just talking to Jesus. So Peter is there. This is the moment he has. Verse four, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. You think so, Peter? You think it's good that we are here? If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So Peter has this moment. It's unlike anything he's ever seen. Jesus is transfigured. It's him in all radiant glory. No longer in the human body. Peter sees Jesus as divinity, as God. This is who he is. He sees all of it. And he sees him having a conversation with Moses and with Elijah. And Peter's response is, hey, listen, why don't I just build us some houses up here on this mountain so we don't have to go anywhere else ever again? Let's just stay here. Have you had experiences like that? Like, man, this is so good, I don't want to leave. And maybe non-spiritually speaking, that was a vacation you didn't want to leave or come home from. Uh, maybe that was an experience uh, you had in a relationship or, or uh, maybe you just saw a really good movie. You didn't want to leave the theater. I, I don't know. I don't know how your, how your brain works. But Peter has this spiritual moment 
of like, I just, I want this to be the rest of my life. Let's just build houses and live up here on the mountaintop. Let's just stay here. Maybe you've been to a conference, maybe you went to camp as a student or whatever it is, and you've had that moment where it's just thousands of people worshiping and saying, like, oh, yeah, this is, I want this forever. That's what Peter said. I, don't, I, I, I want this experience to be what I want my life to be forever. I want this to continue to be. Verse five, he, Peter, was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When his disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And Peter said, come on, we were so close. Let me build the houses. You blew it, Jesus. I had it. I was ready. And then it's over like that. So back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter has an experience. And this experience of Peter's shaped his theology. It shaped everything for him. Now, was he perfect after that? We know he wasn't. Right? We know he still stumbled and fell and made some mistakes, said some terrible things, did what Peter does. We, we know that. But he has this moment that's been the core of everything that he believes about who Jesus is. One commentator says he actually saw the returned Jesus here at the, at the transfiguration. The Jesus that, that we will see when he descends from heaven. It's the same Jesus Peter saw. That's why he clings so tightly to the second coming of Jesus because he's already witnessed one second coming of Jesus. But this is his experience. And the way that he wants this experience to happen is he never wants it to stop. This is supreme for him. Peter has an experience here, the transfiguration of Jesus, okay? Now, let's go to verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter one. And so I had this experience. What I'm saying is true because I saw it. I was there. I heard it. I saw it, all of it. Verse 19, and we actually have the prophetic word, the Old Testament prophecies. We have the Old Testament prophecies more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, Early Peter, back in Matthew 17, Peter wanted only the experience. I only want this. And what Peter is telling the readers in verse 19 is, you know what I have that's even better than that, though? I have the word of God. Yeah, I had an experience that was unlike anything else. So I have that and I have the word of God. And you know what? Those two things go together. They complement each other. They both say the same thing. I, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. More than experience, Peter has scripture. This is what he's telling those in the churches who are subject to false teaching. I have both. I had an experience with the, with the living God. I had an experience with Jesus that was unlike anything else. And I have the Old Testament prophecy, the Old Testament scripture. And what Peter is saying is that experience I had on the high mountain, on the holy mountain with Jesus, is actually the very thing that the prophets were talking about. I've seen all of it and it all fits together. Does that make sense? I've got it all. But he says about this prophetic word to which you, Christians, you, churches in the midst of suffering in the Roman Empire, you would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star is an Old Testament and a Revelation reference to Jesus and his second coming. 
So until the morning star rises in your hearts, until Jesus returns fully and triumphantly, until that happens, he says, you have the Old Testament prophecy. You have the word, you have the scripture, and you do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. Psalm 119, 105 says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In context of all this, what is the author of Psalm 119 saying? Well, it's actually the word of God that interprets my experiences. It's actually the word of God that tells me where I'm stepping. It's the word of God that shows me what's actually happening. And Peter says, you do well, church, you do well to hold on to the lamp of the word of God until the coming of Jesus You've got a light, and it's the scriptures. And you've got this light that will help interpret and inform whatever it is that you have experienced. Peter says, I've got experience, and I've got scripture. And church, you would do well to hold on to the scripture because what you're experiencing right now needs to be interpreted through that lens, not through the lens of your heart and how does it feel, but through the lens of truth. Scripture interprets our experiences. Experiences are not meant to interpret Scripture. Verse 20, knowing this first of all, not first of all like there's a list of things coming, but of utmost importance, knowing this at the core, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy, no word of God, Nothing about the scripture comes because of how somebody interprets it. The interpretation of scripture must be founded in the intention of scripture. But there are far too many, there were here, there are in our, and today. There are far too many teachers, pastors, interpreting scripture based on their experiences rather than the intent of the scripture. Peter tells us no prophecy of scripture comes about because of someone's own interpretation. In other words, scripture interprets experience. Experience is not meant to interpret scripture. So let's do some work. We all have experiences, don't we? We've all lived life and we've all had different types of experience. We have a good and we've bad. And yet every experience, good and bad, is a poor filter. It is what it is, it's an experience. But every experience, good and bad, needs to be filtered through the lens of scripture. So whether your experiences uh, include pain, maybe you've got church hurt, maybe you've been hurt by a pastor or hurt by a church or hurt by some uh, false doctrine in the church, maybe you've, you've run from God, that's an experience you have. Maybe you have uh, pain and suffering in your marriage. Maybe it's been sickness or death. Left without the interpretation of scripture, all of these experiences lead us down a path of loneliness, darkness, and shame, and sin. Every single one of them. Experience is not supreme. How you feel is not supreme. What's supreme is the truth of the word of God. So it may be a bad experience. Maybe, maybe you have an experience of wrestling with your sexuality. 
And your experience is, well, it just feels wrong for me to live this way when I know I've been created to live this way. Maybe. Well, this, this doesn't feel right. Maybe it's about um, your sexual preferences. Maybe, maybe it's about how you handle sexual experiences. Well, if it feels good, do it. Experience, what it feels like is not supreme. What is supreme is the word of God and not to hold you down, but to set you free. Experience is not supreme. Maybe you've got experiences in your marriage or experiences in relationships that... Um, have caused you then to misinterpret scripture, to rework and rewire scripture to fit your experiences. Maybe they are bad experiences, but maybe you've had good experiences like Peter. Maybe you've experienced the euphoria of childbirth or of success or uh, tradition. Maybe it's, it's been at a conference or in a church or a camp. Maybe, maybe you've sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit in a mighty and a monumental way. Maybe you've heard God speak to you and it was clear as anything. Well, while those experiences are good, if they're not run through the filter of scripture, they're meaningless and they are empty. Peter had an experience, I wanna stay here forever and then poof, they're gone. We can have similar experiences. So let me just show you uh, this chart and then we'll start to add pieces to it. Our lives are made up of experiences. And in following Jesus, what we add to our experience is scripture. It's how we filter our experiences. It's the reason why in seasons of suffering, we cannot operate based on what it feels like. We have to operate based on the truth of the word of God. Who does does the Bible say God is? What does God say he is like? Well, he says he is good. He says he is sovereign and in control. And if that's true, that informs then how we view our circumstances. We have experience and we have scripture. And then in the middle is where we need to live our lives. We need to live our lives in the overlap of the two things. Will you have experiences that you have a hard time interpreting through scripture? Probably. Is there some scripture that you feel like you have no experience with? Maybe. And yet this middle is where we need to live our lives. So let's read verse 21. And we're gonna put this all back in context. Verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying this, hey, the Old Testament prophets who gave us the things that we've built our foundation on, my experience that I've built my theology around, the scriptures, how they all work together, all of that, was not men speaking by their own experiences or by their own interpretation. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, this word carried along is a sailing term, a boating term. It's what happens when a sail goes up and the winds get caught in the sail and the boat is carried along by the wind. What he's saying is these men who wrote the prophecies, these prophets, what I'm writing to you now, this this is not just experience. It's experience met, met with the truth of who God is. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The idea is that they are moved or driven or even caught up in the wind of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the Greek word for spirit is the Greek word pneuma, which is also the Greek word for wind, the holy wind, the Holy Spirit. What Peter is saying is what I've been saying this morning. The experience must be interpreted by Scripture. 
So we have the chart again, and we have experience on one hand, and we have the scripture on the other hand. And in the middle somewhere is how we find life the way it was meant to be lived. How, how we find flourishing, true, abundant life is right there in the middle. We do have experiences. So let me help us with this. So let's go to the next one. Experience for a boater is like the water, okay? You're out on the sea, and experience is what happens while you're on the lake or the sea or the ocean, wherever you're sailing. And this is, the water is the experience. It's what moves us up and down. It's what ebbs and flows. It's what kind of pushes us left and right from time to time. This is what the experience is. It's, it's the water uh, for the sailor. But what you have to understand is the same wind that catches the sails is the same wind that moves the wind, that moves the waves. So sometimes we have experiences where we are moved, but we aren't moved by the wind in our sails. We're moved by the wind on the water, and that's just waves. And do not misinterpret. Do not misinterpret the movement of the waves for the power of the wind in our sails. And sometimes those experiences on the water are smooth and they're peaceful and they're calm and sometimes they're tumultuous. So we have experiences is what we have. But then we also have scripture and scripture is the sail. Scripture is what catches the wind of the move, the drivenness of the Holy Spirit. It's the sail that does. It's the sail that catches the wind. So we've got experience and we've got scripture to be carried along. Now, when they all come together and there's experience and we've got scripture, then, then we are carried along in the middle. We are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? What Peter is saying is, hey, following Jesus, it's not all about experience and it's not just about what you know. It's about being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is why I think many of us believe following Jesus is boring and dull because your sails aren't up or you're not on the water. Following Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit is the most exciting way to live your life. And yet we come and we sit and we take notes and we, we um, mull over and we post scripture and we do those things and yet none of us have the experience of being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, these two things have to work in conjunction, both uh, the water and the sails to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. So let's see this next picture. Got a picture here of this boat. This is what it looks like to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you're leaning and it feels like you might fall off and it feels like it's going too fast and it feels like I'm not sure really that the spirit knows what he's doing. There's waves up ahead. It doesn't feel quite right. And so we're leaning. The sailing term is you're healing, H-E-E-L-I-N-G. You're healing. Sometimes being carried along by the Holy Spirit feels like this. This is what it can feel like. I wanna encourage you in this. This is what it always feels like to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. You don't know what's happening. You don't know, but you know that God's got it. You know that he's moving you through the waters of experience and you know he's leading you. But here's the truth for many of us. Many of us are like this next boat. We're not in the water and we don't have our sails up. Sure, you've, you've got a boat, but you're not, even, you're not even in the experience of life. You've hemmed yourself in, you've self-preserved so much that you're not about to set foot out there. You're not gonna try the waves that are out there. 
And on top of that, you, don't, you know nothing about scripture. You know nothing about the diligence of what it is to study the word of God and to practice the way of Jesus. So many of us today are just this boat. And we're on the shore and we're not having experiences. We're not studying scripture, but you're here because you're a good Southern boy. And you know, to make grandmama happy, you come to church on Sundays. That's what you do. And you tuck your shirt in and you say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and please and thank you. I love you, but you don't know Jesus. Some of us are just good people, and this is what life looks like. So there's no excitement, there's no passion or zeal for Jesus. There's no zeal for his word, there's none of that. Then there are some of us who are like this boat on the land. Man, we got our sails up because we're good Christians. And we've memorized scripture and we only listen to 104.7, The Fish, and we've, uh, we, we, only, um, we know DC Talk songs. We don't know anything about that new mumble rap. We know about DC Talk, though. We know all about that. Maybe you, um, you, you quote scripture all day long, you know, where the Bible stands on big issues like, um, like abortion. And, and so your sales are up, right? You've, you've studied the word of God and yet you're not out on the water. You've got no experiences. You've got nothing to point to in following Jesus. And so while you might know a lot and you might just naturally be a type A person who just, you, you know how to work hard, you know how to schedule your days so that you have your quiet time and, and you do all those things, you're a successful Christian and yet you have no experiences in following Jesus. And so you've become a Pharisee. You become proud and hypocritical. You've become arrogant in your way of thinking. And you'll sit in small groups and you'll answer all the questions. And yet when somebody asks what it means to you, you've got nothing. Well, how have you seen that play out in your life? Well, my neighbor, well, my spouse, oh man, my kids, this is what they need today. You got no experience. Your life is dull. And so you've tried to make it exciting with arrogance. And there are some of us who are like this, we're out on the water. We've got all the experience, but we've got no discipline in study and knowing the scriptures of God. And sure, you're being tossed to and fro by the waves, and yet you've got nothing to catch the wind of the Spirit. And the Spirit is moving, right? The Spirit is moving over the waters. It's, it's moving. It's moving the waves, and yet you've got nothing to catch it. And so maybe you're very charismatic. And praise the Lord for you. Maybe you know who God is, and you know who the Holy Spirit is, and yet you don't know the Word of God. So you've got experiences and you like when things feel good and you like when the, when the music comes on and you can really just raise your hands and really get into it. I, listen, I'm that way. Maybe, and you long for the experience of the Spirit. Well, I love that about you and yet you will never be driven by him because you've got nothing to catch the power. And it might feel like it is because there are waves. But when the storms come and you've got no storm sails to help you get through it, and you're tossed to and fro, you're cowering in the boat because you've got nothing to get you through with the word of God, nothing. And so your relationship with Christ is thin. It's emotionally driven. It's all based on experience. And there's nothing to sustain and drive you. And then there's some of us like this. Man, you've got a bunch of masks ready but you haven't put the sails up. 
and you're on the water and you've got all the tools because you've grown up in church and you know all the things, right? You, you know the basics of following Jesus and yet you haven't done the work of hoisting the main sail or the other sails or this one or that one. And so there's nothing to catch the power and the move of the spirit, nothing. So you look really cool. I mean, Jack Sparrow would love to be on your boat. And yeah, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Well, this is what the church should be like. This is what following Jesus should be like. We're just on a boat with our sails up, catching the wind. And I have friends in my life who this is them. Gosh, they inspire me to follow him with all that I have. Because I've been the other boats. I've done all the right things. I've had my sails up, but I've been on the shore. I've been in, in the water, but I don't have any sails working. And so this is what it is to follow, to be carried along where scripture interprets your experiences. This is what it's like to follow Jesus. This is what gets you through suffering. This is what gets you through pain and agony. This is what gets you through it. And friend, you're not gonna make it with your sails down. You're not gonna make it. Because what you're experiencing right now, you need to interpret through the lens of scripture, not through your heart, but through truth. And what's beautiful is when the gathering of the saints come together, it looks like this. It looks like a bunch of boats with their sails up, being driven and moved along by the Spirit. You wanna get through suffering? You wanna get through 2021? You wanna get through the state of the world today? This is how we do it and we enjoy the ride. And we're healing and we're turning and storms are coming and yet we know the Spirit is driving us, our sails are up. The question for us today is are you ready? Are you ready to be carried along? Some of us today, you need to get in the water. Quit playing it safe and get in the water. There's nothing you can do to protect yourself from hurt and pain, nothing. We live in a broken world, a world broken by sin. And yet in between the times, we also have the power of the Spirit to lead us. And some of us today, you need to get in the water. Quit hoisting your sails on the beach thinking you're doing something. Some of us, we need to start putting the sails up on the water. I'm sure you're experiencing it and you've, you've seen life and what's happened is you, you've interpreted scripture through the lens of your experience and you've begun to distrust God. So all you see is experience, but you've got nothing to make sense of it, nothing to catch the wind to actually drive you to where you need to be. And so you're missing it. You're distrusting the Father, you're distrusting the Son and you are blind to the Spirit. There's more for you than that. There's more for us than that. So for you, practically, are you studying the word of God as best as you can? This is part of it. Get in a small group, get in a Bible study, find a Bible study on the Bible app on your phone, do something that you might hoist the sails to catch the spirit. Are you praying and are you fasting? Are there these spiritual practices that give you ways to catch the spirit that you know you're being driven by him and not just the waves? Scripture is meant to interpret our experiences. Experiences are never meant to interpret Scripture. 
you bow your heads and close your eyes. I know that um, when it comes to suffering, we're either walking into it or coming out of it. It's my fear for many of us that we're allowing experience to be supreme. And I love you enough to tell you it's because you haven't hoisted the sails of scripture. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So some of us have experiences that are driving us and shaping us and moving us. We don't know where they're taking us. Well, you can know. And you can trust the move of God if you have your sails up. Some of us have had experiences and we just wanna relive the experience. Well, you're never gonna relive the experience without your sails up. Some of us today need to get in the water. You show up and you memorize and you read and you quote and you answer and you post. And yet, have you ever met the living God? Have you ever met him? Like, have you ever experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit? Do you know him or you just know about him? Maybe you're here today, you're not even sure you're on the boat. You get on the boat simply by following Jesus, by giving your life to him, by admitting that you're a sinner in need of a savior. You wanna get on the boat. The life you've been living is more of you rowing than it is you sailing, and you're exhausted. You're weary and heavy laden, and Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. Believe that he is the savior. He's the one who, who died that you might have life and life to the full, that you might be brought back into relationship with the creator. You name him Lord of your life. And there's some of us here today that need to get out on the water. And some of us today need to be more diligent, need to make every effort to get our sails up because we're being tossed to and fro by experience. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for the experiences that you've given in me experiences that for much of my life I interpreted through my own feeling and emotion and not through the truth of scripture. And yet, as you have been so patient with me in my sanctification, you've been patient with me in my growth and my supplementing my faith, God, as you've walked this arduous journey with me, God, I'm starting to see where these two things fit together and you're carrying me along. So much of me, Father, wants our church to experience it too. I don't want us to be on the shore. I don't want us to think we're something because we have really good programs or we know a lot about the Bible. I want, us, I want us to be out on the water of experience, out on the water of life. And not just out there, God, but I, I want us to be catching the wind. I want us to um, have our sails up, ready to move. So would you send the wind for us? God, send the power of the Spirit today. For those of us who our experiences have become supreme, God, would you tear them down? Remind us how flawed that thinking is, how foolish we are. And draw us back to the truth of your word that it might interpret our experiences for us. So God, make us diligent. Give us a strength and perseverance, endurance to do the hard work, to make every effort to follow you. And like Peter, may we be able to stand before and write a letter that says, we're not following cleverly devised myths. I'm standing on the truth of the word of God that I've experienced in my own life. And may that be the testimony of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.